I'm Hemant Metta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. By the way, we now have a merchandise shop on the website, so if you want your podcast swag, some shirts, mugs, baby onesies, Hemant, you're going to get a baby onesie for your kiddo? Of course. Yeah. Go to our website and click on the store tab. We're brought to you today by Foundation Marketing. If you own a small business, then you know how frustrating advertising can be. Foundation Marketing offers all-encompassing solutions backed by 20 years' experience. This includes professional web design, graphic design, printing, and online marketing solutions. They are a certified Google partner and offer free consultation. Visit them online at fmkg.net. Let them know you were sent by the Friendly Atheist podcast and you'll get 10% off any sale. They're also donating 20% of all sales driven by this podcast to the Clergy Project and Foundation Beyond Belief, 10% each. Once again, check them out at fmkg.net. Jeremy Runnels was raised in the Church of Latter-day Saints as a sixth-generation Mormon. He went on his two-year mission, he graduated from BYU, he was an Eagle Scout. But in 2012, he began doubting some of his beliefs. He was asked by a church educational system director, or CES director, to share his concerns. Jeremy did that in what became known as the Letter to a CES Director, or the CES Letter. It is a damning document that exposes so many holes in the Mormon faith, and it quickly went viral online, giving a lot of people reason to leave the church themselves. And then, earlier this year, wouldn't you know it, church officials began a process to kick him out. But before they could excommunicate him for good in April, Runnels announced that he was resigning from the Mormon church himself. He wasn't going to give them the satisfaction of kicking him out. Uh, so, Jeremy, thank you so much for being with us. And do I have that story correct? Uh, yes, you do. So if I can ask you, what got you started on this path to having doubts? How do you go from being so entrenched within the Mormon faith to saying, I don't think I believe in this anymore? Um, it, it basically started with, uh, you know, following the church's narrative that it can it can do like that it has the correct history, that the history that I was learning from, sorry, uh, they basically have to do with, I was uh, raised in the church with a specific narrative, um, a correlated history or version of Mormonism. And in 2012, I was just uh, going about my inner life, and I came across a news article um, that talked about Mormon siege in the modern age. And what it was basically talking about was how there are uh, Mormons that are leaving the church over history. And it brought up uh, at the time, which was the church historian, Elder Marlon K. Jensen. Uh, he gave a Q&A um, at uh, Utah State University, or USU, as we call it here in Utah. And he was asked about the effect of Google on Mormonism and how the church planned to address, you know, people leaving the church over uh, discovering problematic aspects of Mormon history. And uh, in that article, it it, uh, quoted him as saying that we are experiencing an apostasy not seen since Kirtland. 
And uh, I've researched Kevin before. Um, I knew that it was a, a very uh, important crossroads in Mormon history. And so when he said that, I knew that, you know, something serious was going on. So uh, I became very curious as to what was causing this uh, exodus of Latter-day Saints leaving the church over history. And the uh, mistake that I made was pulling up, pulling up Google <laughs> and uh, searching uh, Joseph Smith's polygamy. Uh, it mentioned Joseph Smith's polygamy in there. And honest to God, I didn't realize that Joseph Smith was a polygamist. I uh, was raised in the church narrative that it was just Joseph and his uh, best wife, Emma. So to see in the search engine results that, no, that's not accurate, that he was actually married to uh, 30, 40 wives, uh, according to some historians even more, uh, it really disturbed me. And then uh, as I was Googling some more, I came across a word that I, ne I had never heard before, which is polyandry. And when I saw uh, what it meant, it totally blew my mind. It means uh, uh, for a, you know, a woman to be married to multiple husbands. So in this context, Joseph Smith was married to other living men's wives. And that just blew my mind. Um, <laughs> And so it just, the rabbit hole just went deeper and deeper. I came across the book of Abraham, uh, where Joseph Smith, it, 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 where modern Egyptologists verify that what Joseph Smith translated is not correct and uh, does not match with what he claimed it meant. So it just uh, it, it kicked off this uh, ultimately, you know, four years journey of Mormon research and history and. Uh, my mind still gets blown. Even to this day, I know Mormon historians who have been in the trenches for 20 years, 30 years, and they still learn something new. So the topic of Mormon history is really a, a really deep rabbit hole, and uh, it's pretty disturbing when you first learn about it and you first uh, um, you know, start to realize that something is going on behind the curtain of Oz. We've said before, uh, I know I've written it on the website, that Google may be responsible for more people leaving religion than any other website, uh, any other force that I can think of. Is it? I mean, it seems a little weird to me, and I didn't grow up in the Mormon faith, obviously, but it seems a little weird that you didn't know about some of this stuff, because I feel like the very little I knew about Mormonism, that's one of the things that I always heard about, it's you know, the polygamy, polygamy thing. And so was this something that was just kept from you? Was it suppressed or was it always, oh, we heard about it, but we thought it was just, you know, outsiders trying to slam the faith? Yeah. Um, what was uh, it? I, I would say it's a little bit of both. So in in the Mormon narrative, there's, they're, they're really big with this idea that it's us against the world, the mm. anti-Mormons in their lives. Um, so, you know, if you come across information, what they try to do is they try to frame it as it's not credible, it's not trustworthy, it's anti-Mormon lies. And um, what, you're, what, you're, what they really hammer, hammer, uh, hammer in for you as you grow up Mormon is that the way to discover truth and reality in this world is through feelings. Because when you get feelings, good feelings, that's the Holy Ghost uh, or the Spirit of God 
uh, testifying to you that what you are learning about, especially if it's to the church, that it's true. And if uh, there's something that doesn't feel good, mm-hmm. um, it's false. And a, a hilarious example um, of this kind of thinking was when I was having my uh, conversation with my state president uh, this, uh, a, a, a year and a half ago in his office, his church office, um, after I had committed him to reading the CES letter, um, I asked him what he thought about it. And he said, I got a dog when I read the CES letter. So what he was saying was my, the, the CES letter um, was full of lies or, um, you know, things that weren't true because, hey, I got a dark feeling from this. <laughs> so that kind of gives you a glimpse of the Mormon worldview and how they, um, you know, try to discern truth and reality. And it, to, to me, it's, it's really crazy to, you know, build your worldview on feelings and uh um, so yeah, as, as we talk more, maybe I can explain more how, how that has shaped my, uh, worldview over the last couple of years. But, but yeah, it, it's a mix. It's, it's a narrative of, you know, anti-woman lies, the churches, um, you know, the churches, the one and only true church on the earth that can basically do no wrong. Um, and if you hear information that's, you know, uh, scary or, or, against the trust and it's, you know, you can't listen to it and you got to follow your, your feelings. You got to follow the Holy ghost. So it's a really dangerous, um, method or approach to, you know, discovering truth on this planet. For sure. I mean, that's definitely something that we've seen from tiny little cults all the way up through world dominating religions is that, you know, leaders will say, Hey, anybody who disparages Scientology to you, Christianity to you is, is apocryphal or they are despair they're tr- they're coming for your religion and that's something that's echoed all the time when you're trying to control masses those right? dinosaur fossils you found were right, planted exactly. by the devil so um my yeah. que- i guess my question would be and to me this is one of the most fascinating things about looking at religion and trying to pick pick it apart in your opinion and obviously this is just us speculating here do you think the leaders of your church are lying to you or do you think they've they've drank the Kool-Aid? Do you think they believe what they're saying? Uh, you know, if you were to ask me that about four years ago, I would say I think they're good men that are trying to uh, that really believe it uh-huh. and that they're just as, just as surprised as the rest of us. But um, their actions over the last couple of years, especially the last two years, um, with the release of what is what is known as the church essays, where they basically um, admit some disturbing things, but they there's a lot of damage control, a lot of glossing over, a lot of omissions in those essays. Mm-hmm. But they do admit some things that basically what I like to say um, yesterday's anti-Mormon lies, or now today's church verified essays that, <laughs> and. Um, yeah, so basically, you know, yesterday they were shouting from the rooftops, hey, this is anti-Mormon lies. Now it's, hey, go check out the essays. Um, it's true. And um, so what they're doing now is they're trying to, they're coming out with crazy stuff like um, inoculate. And the idea behind inoculation is you focus on the youth of a church <laughs> and you tell, you tell them about these issues through the essay. 
so that the hope is that they don't get shot or feel betrayed like I did in 2012, learning about all, all this information that That's I didn't know before. Yeah, so if um, they hear it from the Mormon leaders first, it's not going to jar them the way it jarred you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so this push for inoculation, this, this, the, the release of the essays, um, some of the comments that they've made in, in firesides and general conferences, ridiculous stuff like doubt your doubts, um, you know, stay in the boat. <laughs> So uh, my personal opinion is they, they do know about it. They, they know that it's a real problem. Um, I, the, one of the apostles, his name, was, his name is Jeffrey R. Holland. Um, he did an interview with BBC about two years ago. And uh, this video recorded in his office. Um, as a deaf individual, I learned to become an expert in body language. I've had to, to survive growing up. Um, just watching that interview, his body just screams, uh, defense, uh, get me out, get me out of here. I don't want to be here. Uh, stop asking me questions. It, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a posture of offense or confidence that you would expect from a, an, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to me, that was a really eye opening. um, interview. So I'm sorry for a long answer, but the quick answer to your question is, at this point, I believe that they know that it's uh, it's a fraud. Right. But the way that they rationalize it is they see the church as a institution for good sure. that it supposedly keeps families together, that it um, makes good men better, yada, yada, yada. Keeps straight um, white families together. I think, I think that's how they rationalize it. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that you're deaf. I should point out that uh, you have cochlear implants, and that allows us to communicate like the way we are right now, correct? That's correct. Okay. Um, oh. Yeah, and, and, and so, yeah, that's the, uh, I guess I could give a background on, this, on that story, but I'll oh, yeah. let you uh Oh, well, let me ask you. No, it's, let me ask you. Uh, when you were writing the CES letter, I mean, that's a long document. Mm-hmm. What you must have been researching this stuff for a long time, and I'm wondering what were you mentioned polygamy, the Joseph Smith's polygamy, but what were the things that really stood out to you as? Oh my God, I had no idea this was going on, and so you included it in the letter. What were the things that really stood out to you? Um, the, the, the book of Abraham was a big one because uh, the keystone on Mormon religion is the Book of Mormon. And it, it's funny that Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon. Uh, and, you know, he used the quote-unquote uh, reformed Egyptian. So the Book of Mormon itself rests on the claims of Joseph Smith's ability to translate ancient uh, or, you know, made-up languages. Reformed Egyptian is just the uh, you know, <laughs> what did I even mean before the Egyptian? So, but he also made that same claim with the Book of Abraham. And we have the papyri that he used. And we and we have what is called an alphabet and grammar book, which is basically his little notebook, where on the left side he would put in Egyptian uh, uh, hieroglyphics. And then on the right side he would put blocks or paragraphs of text that would eventually become the Book of Abraham. Well, um, we have all the all the all the uh, evidence we need to verify that it's just it's, it's a fraud. It's not. It's just gibberish. Um, it's not what he claimed to. 
to be. So to me, the Book of Abraham is the most damning uh, thing we have, probably the closest we have to a smoking gun, if so, you will. Um, and then, you know, as I mentioned before in other interviews, especially my interview with John DeLynn, uh, with this TES letter, it, it shows a pattern of consistent uh, uh, deliberate fraud mm. where, for example, Joseph Smith spent much, much of his adult life marrying other men's wives and women and teenage girls in the dark. He did not want the world or the saints in general to know about his polygamy. Mm-hmm. Um, he even uh, put in the affidavit in the newspaper and had 31 people sign basically attesting that he was not a polygamist. When the fact is, and even the church admits now, he was practicing polygamy mm-hmm. during that same period of time. So it just goes on and on, kinderhood plates, um, all this other stuff. It just shows a pattern of deliberate fraud. Uh, and I think that's what resonates to a lot of people with the CES letter. It shows this pattern. It shows a high-level view of this, this you know, continued uh, systematic deliberate um, deception. I, I think it's interesting because haven't mentioned before that one of the things that most of us know about Mormonism or, or I guess kind of put together with Mormonism is the polygamy. But it really sounds like that was the thing that shook you the most. Is it just because you had been lied about that, uh, lied, lied to about that for your whole life? Or was it actual polygamy that, that put you off? Um, the, 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 polygamy, it, it, the polygamy got me in terms of hitting on Joseph Smith's integrity. Uh, it just, uh, the, just the common decent, the human decency and the common mo- human morality of knowing that you just do not marry other living men's wives. Mm-hmm. And it goes vice versa. So I don't sound sexist here. <laughs> you just don't take another person's girl or a guy. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that really shook and changed my view of Joseph Smith's uh, morality and, and 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 sense of uh, decency and integrity. And then when you get into the book of Abraham and the, the uh, kinderhood place, it's like looking over his shoulder as he is deliberately and systematically trying to deceive people. Mm. And that takes it to a whole new level. And uh, I mean, there's other stuff added into it, but those two are just sucker punches. It really... Uh, I mean, I could never go back to uh, the way I saw Joseph Smith again. There's a hymn that Mormons sing in church called uh, Praise to the Man. And I remember going to uh, church, and, and that was, you know, the song being sung in sacrament meeting. And I just could never, I just couldn't have seen it. I was disgusted. It, it really bothered me um, after learning these things about Joseph Smith. And, uh, you know, this story that I experienced is not unique. There are there are many, like there are hundreds of thousands of Mormons mm-hmm. that it's likewise experience this this uh, awakening, if you will. And uh, yeah, can you can you briefly walk me through the timeline here? You wrote the CES letter. What came first? Did you send it back to the CES director, or did you post it online almost immediately after it was written? Um, yeah, so real quick, uh, I, I lost my faith in 2012, in the summer of 2012, 
and uh, my family became aware around the same time, uh, especially my grandfather. And so uh, fast forward to the spring of 2013, April 2013, my grandfather, uh, concerned about my disaffection from the church, decided to uh, basically rescue me. <laughs> and so part of that rescue was an, an offer uh, to introduce his friend, who was a CES director. And surprisingly, the uh, CES director emailed me and basically said, uh, lay it on the table. Uh, let's see what we can do to resolve your concerns and doubts and basically get you back in the church. And uh, as part of being uh, deaf, I my my language is writing. So a lot of people are surprised, like, wow, how did you write, you know, 80-page document? <laughs> it's not difficult for me. I, I, I just write it, you know, like it's not it's not a huge project. Mm-hmm. And so I, I sent, I emailed it to the CES director. He actually read it and responded that, you know, it was a very, well, very well-written document and that he would get back to me. <laughs> um, and so as part of the way that the, the letter went viral on the internet is, before I sent the document to the CES director, I um, shared it with some friends on Facebook, like close groups, and unread it to basically get feedback uh, to make sure that the facts were correct and, you know, any grammar or typos or whatever. And so several of the people that were giving feedback on the document liked it so much that they shared it with their family <laughs> and their friends, and then they shared it and so on and so forth. Um, so it wasn't like I just put it on the website and and spent, you know, thousands of, thousands of dollars in marketing. <laughs> so when you wrote these questions, um, were they rhetorical questions or were you really asking these? I, I guess what I'm trying to say is were these questions that you really wanted answers to or was this more of a statement of look at all these inconsistencies, look at what you're telling us versus what's reality? Did you expect them to come back and address you point by point or did you just want to make sure that your ideas got out there? Um, I saw, like, when he said lay it on the table, uh, <laughs> I saw it as a, I saw it as an invitation to finally get official answers from the church. Mm-hmm. And the way it operated was I had all these concerns, and if I just presented to him two concerns, it wasn't really addressing uh, the real problem, which is all these other concerns. So I decided to just lay it all out there mm-hmm. and see where it went. It was it was honest. It was sincere. Um, some people were... Some people say that, well, there's some conclusions in there, so you weren't really asking questions and were really seeking answers. Uh, but that's not true. The way that I uh, wrote it was in the beginning, I said, hey, I'm just going to lay it out. Right. I'm just going to tell you how I, I'm seeing the world right now and for you to correct me where I'm wrong. And so it was a mix of questions and conclusions in hopes that you could come back, uh, you know, for me more official uh, point of view and say, uh, no, this is not correct because of ABC and that's not correct because of XYZ. So. Do you know how many people have either left the church or, you know, started the process of leaving the church because they came across CES letter? Like, I guess I'm wondering, like, what's your inbox like? What sort of <laughs> letters do you get from people? Um, I get emails every day. Um, I'm used to just hearing, you know, hey, you let it change my life or it saved my marriage or huh. save my family. And so it, 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 even though I get it, it never changes in terms of the response that I get, the 
holy shit, I, I, I really did this, like me, Jeremy. So it's, it's really mind-blowing that um, the way that things have happened have happened the last four years. I would would never in a million years have envisioned that it would that it would happen the way it happened. Um, in terms of how many people have left, I'm not sure, but um, I know that the I, I I estimate that the document has been downloaded around 600,000 times. Um, I you know corresponded to around 12,000 or 2,000 people over the years. Wow. So I'm I'm not sure the exact number, but I imagine that it's uh, you know. A good number. Yeah. yeah, definitely. There's an understatement <laughs> for you. So one of the things that happened, uh, one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you now is because very recently you were, uh, I guess the church began proceedings earlier this year to say, uh, to have a disciplinary council with you, basically the formal steps to kick you out of the church. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think if it's if I have this correct, you had a meeting with them. You actually videotaped that meeting. Um, but before they could officially go through the motions of kicking you out you basically announced to the world you know what i quit you dunked over him yeah <laughs> you, you didn't give him the satisfaction <laughs> yeah, of kicking you out i love it yeah so um for those of you that want the details it's uh cesletter.org forward slash design um i recorded a hundred percent of all of my communications with the state president uh, emails, audio recordings, and part videos, uh, so that everybody could see for themselves what a kangaroo court or a kangaroo process it was. <laughs> um, it was just dishonest from the very beginning, and uh, I wanted the world to, to see how the church treats questioners and doubters. Um, the reason why that I did what I did in the kangaroo court um, is because I wanted... I, I'm, uh, I'm a very freedom conscious individual. I, I was raised in a Mormonism where I was taught to do what is right while letting the consequence follow. Um, I was taught to seek truth no matter where it's found. And I was taught that freedom and the free agency of, of the individual is so important and so paramount. And um, I, I've done nothing wrong. And I felt that it would be a, a grotesque injustice to myself and my integrity to allow them in their kangaroo court process to uh, excommunicate me. And I just decided that I no longer wanted to be a part of an of a organization that does not value um, freedom and the free agency of the individual and truth and transparency. So I decided to take things in my own hands. And uh, um, after it just became obvious that they were not going to answer my questions in the court and the whole process is just a kangaroo court, I basically told the state president, the leader of the leader at the time, um, to his face that I was excommunicating the LDS church, mm-hmm. that I was excommunicating him, and that I was excommunicating his kangaroo court for my life. And then I walked out. That's so boss. I hope you dropped a mic somewhere <laughs> on your way out. I don't know where you would have found one, but there you go. So what do you call yourself now? I mean, you're no longer member of the LDS church, have you lost your faith completely? Do you call yourself an atheist or do you still believe in a higher power? You just can't find that through um, Mormon church. Um, you know, my, my, uh, my uh, transition over the years has been kind of interesting. What, what has happened is like uh, in the beginning, especially uh, probably until 2015, 
Um, I was uh, a deist. I held on to a belief in the higher power. Um, the idea that, you know, this higher power uh, created the universe, but then kind of, you know, disappeared. Hmm. Um, but then, you know, as I uh, was able to kind of move away from Mormonism and not uh, fight with the apologists as much, I was able to read a little bit more on, you know, um, uh, on atheism and, you know, Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens and and Dawkins and, you know, some other uh, books. Um, I, 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 I'd probably say that I became, I've arrived to a position now where I'm more um, agnostic atheist. I don't know if there's a God or not, which is the agnostic part, mm-hmm. but I'm, uh, you know, skeptical that there's a God. I have a hard time seeing that there's a God that intervenes into human affairs that's going to, you know, for example, bless my greasy pizza or help <laughs> Jennifer in Provo, Utah, find her jet keys, car keys, <laughs> while, while knowing the, the awful plight and suffering of the refugees you know, from Syria and all, all the crap that's happening in Africa and North Korea and you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just, yeah. you can't, how do you reconcile that? You know, how do you believe in a God that will intervene well, to find Jetta car keys but not help that? Well, God can't help the refugees because he's watching the bathrooms at Target to make sure the wrong people <laughs> don't go in right now. Yeah, yeah exactly. So questions. I just get around that. Like, if, if a God will intervene, then basically... He or she or it or whatever is useless. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds like you're know. trying to be I, as intellectually I, I, it's, it's honest as journey. you can. Yeah. Which I love. Do you think, were it not for Google, do you think you would still be a believer if you hadn't kind of stumbled onto that stuff about um, about the multiple wives, things like, do you think you would still be in the church or do you think you would have found your way out regardless? Uh, just make sure I understand the question. Would I still be a believer if I hadn't come across that newspaper article or whatever. Yeah, I mean, if or it weren't Google, for Google, yeah. if you just didn't have access to that information and still believed oh, everything oh, the church, do you think okay. you would have found your way out anyway? Um, if I didn't have access to it, I... Well, that's the funny thing, is that the access to it is also causing the problem because what what is happening now is the church leaders themselves are... are you can't help but notice it. Even if you don't Google, you can't help but notice it that notice there's something going on because they're saying stuff like doubt your doubts and stay in the boat and hold on. And, and you know what I mean? Like the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the exodus is so bad that the church, the church leaders are, are actually talking about doubts and people leaving the church in front of flock that ideally would not be being exposed to Google. So if I didn't Google what I did in 2012, I think I would still have, uh, eventually found myself out because I, I'm curious mm-hmm. in nature and just hearing, you know, the, the rhetoric about doubt, like if, if I heard doubt your doubt, but not, but, you know, <laughs> doubt your doubt before doubting your faith, um, I would have been like, that's the most retarded thing I've ever heard. <laughs> what, what it, why is he saying that? Okay. I'm going to pull up Google. So, uh-huh. Um, it's just a matter of timing. Um, but the, the reality is, is that the floodgates are open and it's yeah. getting so bad that even the apostles are are holding, you know, firesides and talking to members of a church about, you know, staying in the boat. So. 
So talking about that, I mean, look, eight years ago or so, we were all the the country was practically talking about a Mormon moment. You know, Mitt Romney was running for four I'm sorry, ago. that was four years ago. But yeah, Mitt Romney was running for office and you had the Book of Mormon musical, which yeah. which was pretty pro Mormon in a lot of ways. Silly, but it, it was they were very popular. And over the past couple of years, it's been like a uh, it's been crazy. Wreck. It's been like self-immolating where your story is part of that with the CES letter. But they've also excommunicated. John. We mentioned John DeLynn, yeah. Kate Kelly. They excommunicated. They also uh, instituted a new policy a few months ago where they said, you know, if uh, even if your parents are gay, you're not allowed to be part of the church unless you, you know, denounce their relationship. That's a good idea, Mormon Church. There, yeah, but it by, by, seems... the, by the way, that, by, by the way, that policy... I have never seen anything like it. From my point of view, it really, really did some serious damage. I've seen members of a church that thought would never leave leave over that policy. Well, so that's my Um, question. What the hell is going on in the Mormon church that they are basically shooting? Yeah, they're shooting themselves in the foot, it seems, over these stupid policies. I mean, if I'm the if I'm working for the church and I'm like their strategist, 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 whatever the word is. Strategist. Yeah. If I'm one of those people and I'm working to improve the church, which is practically everyone in Mormon leadership, surely someone would have been like, whatever we're doing, it's not working because there's all these high profile. Nope. That's not how it works. Where am I wrong? The church, the first pregnancy (laughs) and the quorum of the 12 are prophets, seers, and revelators. This is a very authoritarian, top-down hierarchy uh, organization. You do not question your leaders, Hmm. period. And so the the problem that that creates is you've got these guys that are in their 70s and 80s and uh, even 90s. uh, Nelson is 90 years old. They are just stuck in 1950, Hmm. and they have no feedback mechanism. They have no millennials or generate the you know Generation X uh, members of the church saying, "Hey, dudes, you know, uh, let's bring you up to speed here," because they're scared to death to present criticism to these prophecies and revelated. There's um, so you have this weird system where these guys uh, just think that they know all the answers. Um, they have no feedback mechanism, and they're just they're seeing a lot of people leaving over the church, and they're trying to. They're, they're like chickens with their heads on. They're, they're, they're going all over the place. Um, it's really a bizarre, bizarre situation. And yeah, they're, they're shooting themselves in the foot. Um, the, 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 the gay, the gay thing. I, it's, it's really uh, unfortunate that they, de- they decided to make, you know, the LGBT community their targets yeah. or their enemies. And uh, the reality is, is that. Um, it's going to be one of the church's downfalls over the next couple of decades. Crop 8 really did a, a huge amount of damage. Yeah. But then the new policy last November, uh, I, I don't think we're really going to see how bad the damage is for a couple of years. Are they, aware of, are they aware of the protests that were going on in Salt Lake City? They have to be aware, right, of all the people who are you know, marching in Salt Lake City, turning in their official resignation forms, going through whatever channels to leave the church. Um I mean, don't they see that as a reaction to the things that they're doing? Or are you saying they don't even know or they don't care about that stuff? Um, they know about that stuff, but they, the way they see it is, I, and this is my personal opinion and speculation, is, uh, those are just, you know, those are just liberal members or, or <laughs> those are just lukewarm. 
members. So, we can do without them. So if they we leave, we become a it. more pure church. Yeah, is it like calling the herd to them? Do they think, okay, we're getting rid of the kind of people on the fence or the sort of non-believers anyway, and we're going to be left with a really strong core? Do you think that's what they're hoping for? Yeah, I think um, uh, my, like my hope and a lot of the hope of you know, many ex-Mormons was that the church would move the stakes wider and create a yeah. a big tent Mormonism. But unfortunately, uh, their actions, the the leaders' actions, indicate that they want to make it a small tent mm-hmm. Mormonism. And unfortunately, uh, the Mormonism, that they keep going this direction, the Mormonism that, that we're going to um, seal in the next couple of decades is a Mormonism, a, a fundamentalist uh, Mormonism, a, a, a very extremely uh, ultra-conservative Mormonism. So... Uh, it's really unfortunate, and uh, my hope was, my hope was that they would they were going to chill out and be a little bit more compassionate, and more mm-hmm. um, accepting of you know a variety of different worldviews, and you know. But it's uh, it's really it's really jokes too bad on you. They're, they're doing the so. opposite thing. Yeah. <laughs> so you you said it would be disappointing, but like, is it a good thing or a bad thing if the church? becomes ridiculously small because everyone's leaving, but they become more fundamentalist. Yeah. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It, it is a good thing that the church, that the, you know, people are leaving the church because the true claims of the church are obviously not true, and they're, they're finding it out, and they're liberating their lives and, you know, their marriages and families as a result of that. So part of me is sad that the church um, is, is not going to allow a wider tent Mormonism in terms of, uh, you know, uh, uh, in a, you know, the, the part of me that, that little part of me that's still, uh, is still Mormon that I'm, you know, trying to work on, mm-hmm. um, is it's kind of sad that the church is going this way, but at the same time, you know, the, the, the church is showing its true colors by, by going this direction and doing harm to the LGBT community and, you know, so on and so forth. So, uh, I yeah, it, it's it's a complicated mess, and it will be very interesting to see how things pan out over the next five, ten, fifteen, twenty years. I'm I'm curious if sort of the people like you kind of go on to form your own little community of holding on to the good things that you liked about Mormonism, the sense of community, the sense of family, but sort of trashing the anti-gay rhetoric, the you know all the lies, all the things like that. Do you think something like that will happen? Um, a secular cultural Mormonism, yeah. so to speak, mm-hmm. that's not spiritual. Yeah, and in the n- no, and and John Delin, well, I think will attest to this too. It's hard to create um, secular communities that are comparable to Mormonism. Yeah, uh, and and there's different reasons for that. I mean, what really glues the Mormon community is they just know that the church is true, that they're led by living prophets and revelators, and that's something to that's very hard to match uh, in a secular community. But at the same time, I'm seeing a lot of promising uh, developments like the races, um, Sunday assembly, assemblies. Um, you know, in the ex-Mormon community, there's, uh, there's you know, uh, close-knit communities in, in, that, in that tent. So because there's a shared history of Mormonism, there's a shared history of struggle of, learning, you know, about the church's true crisis. So, 
I don't know. It, I think that's the, the question of the 21st century: is how can we how can we build sustainable secular communities in the age of doubt and decline of religion? And Jeremy, what happens to you now? Are I mean, excommunication in the Mormon Church is a big deal. Uh, are you in touch with family? Uh, what how what's going on with your social circle, your friends? Um, it's, you know, the, the thing is, is that my journey has been a pretty visible journey the last three, four years. So it's not a shock to anyone, um, that I'm no longer in the church in terms of, you know, I've, I've shared my doubts and, and so on and so forth. Um, it, it's more of a formality. My name just got removed from the church. I'm no longer associated from the church. My family impact has been, you know, pretty minimal. Uh, life goes on. We just, uh, you know, we just, like, we still, you know, play games and watch uh, uh, Netflix and should chill out. So it's not, it hasn't been a traumatic uh, experience. Um, and I think a big part of that is I took ownership. I, instead of letting the church just communicate me and I mm-hmm. become the victim, I empowered myself and said I'm done and moved on. So I think a big part of that helped in a lot of ways as well. Yeah, and from what I've heard from a lot of ex-Mormons, again, what what you did with the CES letter has helped a lot of them as well. So we'll have a link on the website to the CES letter for anyone who wants to see it. Uh, Jeremy, good luck to you, and thank you so much for uh, sharing your story with us. Thank you so much, guys, for having me on. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. We were brought to you today by Foundation Marketing. If you own a small business, then you know how frustrating advertising can be. Foundation Marketing offers all-encompassing solutions backed by 20 years' experience. This includes professional web design, graphic design, printing, and online marketing solutions. They are a certified Google partner and offer free consultation. Visit them online at fmkg.net. Let them know you were sent by the Friendly Atheist Podcast, and you'll get 10% off any sale. They're also donating 20% of all sales driven by this podcast to the Clergy Project and Foundation Beyond Belief, 10% each. Once again, check them out at fmkg.net. This episode is taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois. The music was composed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at patreon.com slash hemin. That's he-man-t. We appreciate your support. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at friendlyatheistpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. We hope you join us next time. 